Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. And I would ask of you to turn to 1 Peter, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse through the twelfth verse. And I will just pause for just a moment to allow you time to get to 1 Peter, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse through the twelfth verse. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to living stones, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lie in Zion, a cornerstone, a precious stone, And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to the doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have not received mercy, but you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Now, Father, as we undertake to both lay open this text and lead the body through the vision that you are giving, we believe, to the elders and to the people, I ask for your help. And I pray that a mindset, a different mindset would be given to our church. And that this morning would be a means to the change. I pray that as we have exalted you in the joy of the growth of centralization, we might also now exalt you in the joy of multiplication. This will be a miracle, Lord, and I ask for it to happen by the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, by your word, for the good of a lost world and for the glory of Christ's name. In his name I pray, amen. You've been a very patient people. North and downtown as you have waited through the summer months while the elders have prayed and pondered their way through to a vision for our future. And you have in front of you 
a sheet called Treasuring Christ Together, and I'm going to invite the elders now to both north and here mingle through the crowd. And if you do not have one of these, I want you to get their attention by raising your hand, as I want this in front of every person as I preach. I'm preaching through these eight pages this morning. So just do it, first of all, real high so I can see how many are missing it. Okay, so there's a lot. Up north, same thing. So don't worry about me talking. Just keep right on walking around and keep, just flash your hand at them when, when they're looking your way. And then you'll have to hold it up the whole time. That will be important. I'll get to it in about 10 minutes. And so uh, to have that in your hand, to pray over and to talk about this Wednesday and to understand this morning will be very, very important. But I did choose a text, and I want to walk through it with you, and I want to then walk through this document with you. They do relate to each other, not artificially, but substantially. And I want to start with the last phrase of verse 9. It's most important that you see, so I would just encourage you that you stop looking at this right now. Okay. Put this on the bench under your Bible because I will not leave any page unturned. You will have chance. So in 10 minutes, we'll go there. Put that away. Open your Bible. We're at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're at the last phrase of verse 9, which is the undergirding statement of the entire document and the church and history and creation and redemption The introduction of it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, here it comes. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a purpose statement for why the church of Christ exists. I hope that's not controversial. That is a clear, resounding purpose statement for why we exist as a church with all the other churches in the world. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God created the universe to display his excellencies for the enjoyment and the reflection of his people. This simply takes that divine design and turns it into a human purpose. We now exist to proclaim in deed and word to make visible the excellencies of our maker. The world exists for God. The church exists for God to make him known in his excellence for the enjoyment of people. Now. To understand that more fully, we need to know who the you is in this verse. You are a chosen race that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who is this you? There are ten things to say about the you, and I'm going to hit them fast. And they are all glorious, and they're worth a sermon, but they will get a minute. Number one, verse two, we're walking through the text asking who the you is that exists for this purpose. Verse two, it is the you who desire the word of God the way newborn babies desire milk. That's who we're talking about here. And that's who we are. Aren't we? Test yourself. Are you in this you? Do you desire this book the way Abel William Piper desires his mother's milk. Number two, verse two again. It is the you who are growing up into the fullness of salvation rather than just coasting. Are you growing, Bethlehem? That's who the you is, growers. Third, verse three. It is the you who have tasted in the word that the Lord is good. He's kind. 
That is why, by the way, we talk so much at Bethlehem about savoring Jesus Christ. You wonder, why do they use that word, savoring? Why do you write a book called Seeing and Savoring? Answer, verse 3, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is a biblical word. Taste God. The people who exist for the purpose of displaying the excellencies of God are people who have tasted, savored, spiritually savored that God is good. Number four, verse four. It is the you who share the viewpoint of God that Jesus Christ, though rejected by men, is chosen and precious. My question to you is, is he precious to you? Pick a very precious thing in your life right now and measure Jesus by it. How are you doing? Is he precious? Five, verse five. It is the you who are being built into a spiritual house. Little stones, living stones, maybe 900 here and I don't know how many up north, four, 500 in that service. Stones being built into the house. Now here are two massive implications for us and they relate to the document. Implication number one, God does not intend for Christians to be isolated stones lying around on the ground of this world. He intends for them to be built into a building. Isolated stones house nothing. And we are to be a building for the dwelling of God in which there are Spiritual sacrifices of praise and love and mercy being offered day by day and week by week. I said there were two. I collapsed them into one. The first one, we're not isolated. Relationally, we are connected into a building. And secondly, we're a place where God dwells. Number six, the you who lives for this purpose in verse nine. We're now at verse nine is the you who is the chosen race. What an amazing statement. A new race. Not that the old races cease, but that a new race is created, which is 10,000 times more important than skin color or other racial features. It's called Christian, a chosen race, including red and yellow, black and white are still beautiful, but nowhere near as beautiful as Christian. That's big. Number seven, these people who live for this purpose are the you who is a royal priesthood. In the service of royalty, the king, Jesus, all Christians represent God to man in exhortation and care. And all Christians represent man to God in prayer. Every Christian is a priest. Priests are go-betweens that take man to God and bring God to man. If you look to me for that, you're not thinking biblically. I am one, one, and you are one. We have different callings, but our destiny is the same. A priest, a royal priesthood of church members, Christians, take man to God in prayer You have a priestly service every time you're on your knees and they bring God to man. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today and fulfill your priestly ministry. Number eight, it is the you who is a holy nation. And the word nation here is ethnos, ethnos, a holy ethnicity. 
set apart for God, a God ethnicity, a Christ ethnicity, not obliterating all other ethnicities, but rather including and transforming all other ethnicities into a holy ethnicity, a whole new identity with all of the diversity in it called Christian, royal priesthood, chosen race. Number nine, still in verse nine, it is the you who are a people for his own possession. Whose are you? So many of us are worked up about the question, Who am I? That's not the big question. The big question is, whose are you? This text says, one of the marks of the church is we belong to the king. We are owned. We are doubly his because he made us and he redeemed us. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Number 10, finally, who is the you who lives for this purpose? In the purpose statement itself, you, t- you see two identifiers at the end of verse 9. It is the you who were in spiritual darkness and the you who now are in marvelous light, which shines with the glory and beauty of Christ. So, who are we now devoted to this purpose at the end of verse 9? We are that, or are we? Let's be that. That's who we're called to be. But notice, being is for declaring. Don't, Bethlehem, be all caught up just in us getting it right. Oh, we have work to do. Don't take this sermon and this vision as a statement. Bethlehem now has it all together. We have become the perfect church and can now multiply ourselves all over. Rather, think this way. If we wait till we are relationally perfect, we will never multiply. We will never evangelize the lost. We will never reach the nations. And no other church will either. Therefore, I am wholly committed in my imperfection to lead you to the nations. And that's the only kind of missionaries we have. That's the only kind of evangelists we have. And therefore, we're just not going to wait around licking our wounds. We're going to change our mentality from coping to growing in all dependence upon Him. So the purpose of all of this is... We exist to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which is why now you can get out your document. We all got it now in front of us. Why on the front page, in the middle, in italics, the word spreading is the first word in our mission statement. We exist to spread a passion For the supremacy of God in all things, all things. He's excellent everywhere. He's excellent at school, in kindergarten, homeschool, public school, Christian school. He's excellent in business. He's excellent in media. He's excellent in transportation. One of our elders is driving to St. Louis right now. He's excellent in that car. He's excellent at gas stations He's excellent everywhere. In all things we exist to make his excellencies known for the joy of all peoples with an S through Jesus Christ, without whom none of it is visible or enjoyable. So, that's the foundation from the Bible for the mission statement of this church in the middle of the front page. Now go to page 2. I wrote this letter on Friday, believe it or not. Praise God for Joby and Megan and the team that are willing to work all hours of the night to put together a document because the pastor is such a poor planner. Got here at 7 o'clock last night. Now I'm going to read through this letter with you, making comments as we go, and that's all the rest of the sermon is. But it'll help guide us. This letter is written to navigate the document, and it's as much of my heart as I can pack in here, and I think I'm speaking for the elders. Dear friends, 
When Jesus Christ blesses his church, he puts us to the test. How will we manage his mercy? Managing mercy may feel unfitting. I don't like the sound of it myself, but it is biblical. Jesus gave differing talents freely, mercifully to his servants and told them to manage well until he comes. Matthew twenty-five fifteen. We either do this humbly and wisely or we do it badly. There is no non-response to mercy. Elders don't have the luxury of not responding to growth. You either do it badly or well. That's our situation at Bethlehem. One, hear how, hear how fragile I'm speaking. One fallible but crucial measure of Christ's blessing is how many people are tasting the supremacy of God among us on Sunday morning. And I say it's one, it is not the most important one. It's just the one that has to be dealt with and is hard to deal with. The answer is more than twice as many as five years ago. Here is the first quarter attendance averages. 1998, 1,234. 1999, 1,631. The year 2000, 1,963. The year 2001, 2,110. The year 2002, 2,285. And then when we put our two campuses in place, the average last spring was 2,742. That's the averages. You must deal not with averages, but with peaks. The peaks were often over 3,000. Now, this trajectory of grace set the Council of Elders to praying and planning. We would like to share with you how we think God is leading us to respond. We hope you will taste the same joyful anticipation that we feel. This next paragraph is a foundational sort of get-it-in-place paragraph before you move on. Listen to it. After four years of effort, the adult ministries team is finally in place with the call of Sherard Burns and Tom Eckblad to join David Livingston. This is crucial because it lays the foundation for aggressive growth without neglecting the relational health of the church. In other words, I'm sticking a sentence in here now. In other words, it really matters that the living stones be built together into a spiritual house and not be isolated stones. Never before, never before have we had a team that includes assimilation, Sherard Burns, covenant care, David Livingston, and counseling, Tom Ekblad. And as of two weeks ago now, we do. We believe the time is right to exchange the mentality of coping with the mentality of strategic growth. We build on the past grace of what God has made Bethlehem to be. And on the facing page, we try to portray Bethlehem as it is today. So please look at that page with me. Fold it open wide. We're going to come back to the letter. But there, that page cost a lot of hours, believe it or not. That's the Bethlehem of today. At the top in the gray box is the glory of God. Above that, the, the mission statement explaining why we exist. At the bottom in the gray box is the sovereign grace of God, without which nothing on this page has ever come into being or will be sustained. Reading from the bottom. The council of elders exists to guard the mission and the doctrine, overseeing the flock, praying to spread a passion. And you will notice under every ministry on this page that the phrase to spread dot, 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 which means 
The mission statement governs every ministry in this church. Above the elders, you see three massively important support structure ministries. Ministry infrastructure with organization and Sam and Joby and the ministry assistants. Building and finances with Paul and David and Brad and the custodial team and the kitchen team. Technical support, this crazy microphone on my cheek, for example, and the spreading with John and Andy and the audio team. Now move up. Corporate worship expresses our passion for a supremacy of God. Chuck and Dan and me, the kind of worship leadership team. And then above that is a line of what I'd call the bread and butter ministries of the church in accordance with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that the elders, pastors exist to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so there's equipping of children with David and Sally leading the charge. Hundreds of people in that army. There's equipping youth with Brad and John. There's equipping college students with Ken and Jack. There's equipping women with Mary leading that ministry. There's equipping adults. I'll be back to that in a minute. There's equipping seniors with Irv. And there's equipping urban dreamers with somebody we hope will be added soon. Kenny moved over out of that job. We do not have somebody as our urban pastor. We would love them to be here yesterday. When I say urban dreamers, I mean suburbanites and urbanites who care about the city and want to pour their lives in there in partnership. So would you pray that that New staff position be filled soon. Now back to the equipping adults. See that little box there? I have thought long and hard. I wrote the document that designed adult ministries October 1999. And it's finally a reality as of two weeks ago. And the way I conceive Sherard and David and Tom working together is this. In that box, the top line, more spreading oriented with the arrow going to the right, that's Sherard. At the bottom, with the arrows going to the left, more care oriented, that's Tom Eckbled, the counselor. In the middle, swinging both ways, is David Livingston, who's the long-term veteran here, in covenant care. That's sort of the, the totality of basically healthy sinners that are among us who need to love each other, care for each other, grow in grace. And then there's the front end people moving in and there's the broken crisis people who are always in trouble. And Tom is there to minister and help and mobilize you. And so that's the way I see that team working to mobilize hundreds of you in outreach and assimilation, hundreds of you in caring for each other at the middle level and hundreds of you getting involved in care ministries as Tom leads the charge. I feel so good about that team. I am so happy. It's been a long time in coming. Now, the most unusual thing, I'm at paragraph four on the letter. The most unusual, most unusual, are the six auxiliary ministries that span upwards at the top of this sheet. From TBI at the bottom, the Bethlehem Institute, some of which you saw lined up a minute ago, swinging up, as it were, in uh, an orbit out from planet Bethlehem to world missions. Let me just highlight them. If, if, I, if I were really good at, at graphics, I would have put arching orbit lines between each one like this. I drew it, but I don't know how to do it on Microsoft Word. The Bethlehem Institute is, is foundational. We hope feeding into all kinds of ministries over the years, all three tracks. Moving up from there is church planting and strategic mobilization. We'll be back to that in a few minutes with Kenny Stokes leading that. Bethlehem Urban Initiatives. Many of you don't even know what that is. Talk to Kenny about it. It is now funding two missionaries, one sitting there and one sitting up there. Boom, boom. And um, the next is campus outreach. Here now, pouring their lives into the campuses, leading the college ministry right now on both campuses. Then Desiring God Ministries, which... 
distributes books, audio conferences, internet stuff, John Bloom leading that, and then world missions. You see the fan moving out from us. Now, one of the most amazing things about this sheet is that nobody planned this. Nobody planned the way this looks over the last 23 years of my presence here. This God just put together. This team and this, these ministries up here at the top is just amazing to us as we see it laid out there. Another thing amazing about it is how much unity it signifies. I mean, there are so many things going on in all of that ministry. How in the world does it all hang together? We might ask, and you'll see in just a minute. And the third thing it signifies is hundreds and hundreds of faithful people, North Campus and down here working, and hundreds more needed. You know, one of the great illusions about a big church is that you got everybody you need. You don't need me. That is the most demonic illusion. There are so many needs. Go to the back page of your booklet if you need illustrations or go to the booklet when you leave. Get the ministries directory. You will find hundreds of opportunities for ministry in this booklet. So if you walk out of here saying, that's a big church, they don't need me, you're wrong. Paragraph five in the letter. What's new at this point in our history is the fresh resolve to multiply congregations, campuses, and churches. You see this on the facing page in the ministry called Church Planting and Strategic Mobilization. In that stairway ministry, it's right there going to the top. That's Kenny's new job. Church planting and strategic mobilization. The church already approved Kenny as a leader in that ministry. And you see it on pages four through six. So let's go to page four. This is what's new. This has all the big implications for the fall. This is what you've been waiting more to hear, I think. Especially as we move towards the concrete from the general. It's a vision we are calling Treasuring Christ Together, a multiplying movement of congregations, campuses, and churches. Here's the definition of that vision. Treasuring Christ Together, TCT, is a multiplying movement of congregations, campuses, and churches defined and united by their common mission and biblical life and doctrine. The mission is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. The biblical life and doctrine is the Bethlehem Institute affirmation of faith, which probably we will rename Treasuring Christ Together affirmation of faith. But we haven't done that yet, and so I kept the old name. Now let me just pause here and stress this. It's almost impossible to overemphasize that the reality called Bethlehem is defined by a mission and a statement of life and doctrine. When we think multiply congregations, multiply campuses, multiply churches, what we mean is multiply bodies of people who share that mission, believe that doctrine, live that life. That's what we mean. So crucial that you understand that statement of mission. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples. And it's, a, it's important that over time, we spent every Wednesday night almost on it last year, that the church understands the TBI affirmation of faith and life. Paragraph 6 in the letter. TCT is a strategic alternative 
This is really important. It's a huge decision that we've made. TCT is a strategic alternative to an ever larger sanctuary downtown. You hear that? That is a massive decision which has not been made without years of agonizing. It is an alternative not to build another one of these five times bigger downtown, which we would fill. We're not going to do that. It is also a vision of an alternative of an ever-increasing number of services at a single downtown campus. The alternative is, now watch this carefully, the alternative is to create and nurture a radical risk-taking mindset for spreading by multiplication as opposed to the more comfortable mindset of expansion by centralized enlargement. For Bethlehem at this time, we think this alternative vision is harder and better. I know I do not speak for everybody there because I was praying with about 20 people Friday night about this vision. And uh, Beth Nordquist, clearly in her prayer, signaled this vision is more comfortable for her. That is, her heart is, do it by multiplication, not centralization. Do it this way. And my, my prayer is simply that about 3,000 Beth Nordquists happen in this church. That's the mindset that I would love to see happen in me. I frankly, I frankly feel like I'm wired to stay right here and preach to three or 4,000 people in one service. That would be really easy. Really easy. I'm not wired to travel around. But I do believe I am called to travel around. Back to page four, second paragraph, the underlined part, Bethlehem's commitment to multiplication. So here's the implication. As a part of treasuring Christ together, Bethlehem Baptist Church is committed to an aggressive strategy of multiplying such congregations, campuses, churches, as God adds to his church those who are being saved. Back to the letter, paragraph seven. TCT means three kinds of multiplication. Neighborhood congregations, campuses, and independent churches. Now to page five. Sorry to keep jerking you around. Page five. You see the highlight there of those three paragraphs? Let me just not read all the way through. Just define for you what we mean by each of these kinds of multiplying. Neighborhood congregations are, you see it there, smaller congregations within Bethlehem which remain part of the church but may meet in homes or rented facilities for Sunday worship or Saturday night worship for that matter with a view to reaching a specific neighborhood or a specific segment of people. We have, we have heard from people, we live in neighborhoods where we know people and we would love to invite them to worship. This is not the kind of place where they would first feel at home. Could we do a worship service in our house or in the neighborhood uh, entertainment center and use the video? And the answer is yes, dream on. Secondly, Campuses are what's happening at Northwestern, you folks, right there. And the goal is to commit ourselves so firmly to the North Campus that we do it excellently and that God willing, oh, pray about this. Let us all pray about this, that God give us a permanent campus for the North site soon. That do it miraculously. Move in there and become a distant, right now it's about eight miles Who knows where it will wind up, but let's pray earnestly about that. I'm asking, Lord, design a place in your mind for maximum impact on a lost world for the North Campus, and then show us your design, and we'll just happily join you. That's the way I would like it to happen. 
The third is independent churches. And here we simply mean church planting in the more traditional sense, not using the video. We do not see independent churches borrowing the video of our worship service or preaching and becoming independent churches leaning on us to that degree. We don't think that would be healthy. So we're drawing the line of the video thing at church planting. Let me just tell you that there are people right now, some in TBI and some outside TBI in this church, ready to plant churches now. We have people who have left this church who live in Georgia, Colorado, Kentucky, who in recent weeks have written, getting wind, we'll do it here. Oh, please send us somebody to plant a church in Colorado, in North Carolina, in Kentucky, and in um, Georgia. You, if you love what Bethlehem is, would you come Wednesday night to watch the video of the Charlotte church plant? I watched it with Noel yesterday. It's only 14 minutes. I watched the testimonies of the people in this little church planted now with about 30 people in Charlotte, North Carolina with Cody Pinckney who sent out from us to plant this church called Desiring God Community Church. And I was absolutely blown away at what God is putting together there. It will bless the socks off of you if you would come on Wednesday night when we show this at 645. So please Come, you will be so inspired to be about the business of church planning if you see what God's doing in Charlotte with your financial help and the person that God gave us to send down there to do it. Okay, what you've all been waiting for, the details, paragraph 8. Second paragraph from the bottom of the letter. This is the plan. And all things are subject to God. The anchor service, always live, would be Saturday night, starting October 4. That's why I have you vote. I want to know what's the optimal time for that. I don't expect everybody to come. I hope hundreds of you will come. And lots of new seekers will come. At this service, a video recording of the sermon will be made. Not the rest of the service and not the welcome. The next morning, this recording will be used in the worship services where the preacher is not present. We will continue to rotate. All you folks up north with me now, right? This big deal for you, this is what you've been waiting to find out, what's going to happen. We will continue to rotate live preaching among the campuses. That's intentionally ambiguous because of a desire for a South Campus. But now we will use this recording instead of broadcasting live, which we're doing at this very moment. Now, I want you people up north to hear that statement as a massively strong commitment to the North Campus. Do you hear it? Say amen if you hear it. Good. Thank you. (laughs) Here are the reasons that this, we believe, is a good thing and what the change to a recording and a Saturday night service accomplished for us. Number one. It keeps the preaching pastor live downtown every weekend, any Saturday night, for the sake of a consistent urban presence. We believe that there are significant urban dynamics that make the going and coming of a a live pastor more difficult. And so we have, in this way, sought to keep the preaching live downtown every weekend. Number two, it frees us from the spirit-squeezing synchronization of services on Sunday morning. Now, some of you do not feel that's a big deal. I feel it's a huge deal. Chuck feels it's a huge deal. If it's not a big deal for you, would you please have mercy upon us? I feel like a slave to the clock right now. I said... Here's Chuck just pouring his heart out downstairs for the choir. I'm tapping on his back. We got 49 seconds to get upstairs, brother. Quit praying. 
And I move in. I saw it's past the time. The, everybody's moving around down here. And I'm saying it's not supposed to work this way. Every week we're under the pressure of this clock. I don't want to be under the pressure of the clock. I want to say, God, come and move. Knock us all on our faces for three hours if you want to. I don't want to live by the clock. So I'm sorry if that's not been a big deal for you and you'd like to stay live. I know, I know north and south, we're all going to be into a 15-hour-old sermon. I know that's less than ideal. The world is less than ideal. Only one ideal reality in the world, and that's Jesus. Number three is a good one. Not being live will save us $1,400 a week in broadcast fees. Do the math, folks. That's a staff and a half. That's a new worship leader for the South Campus. That's a lot of other things that we could be doing. So when you think, oh, I don't want to watch a 15-hour-old video on Sunday morning of Saturday night preaching, then think of how much we might be able to do with that. Finally, it enables neighborhood congregations, which I defined for you earlier, to use the video in homes at creative times when outreach is optimal for their neighborhood. For more details on the scheduling, see page 7. I'm not going to walk through page 7, but I do encourage you to keep this handy because page 7 will answer all your questions for Wednesday night, Sunday school, and other things. So take that away. Don't worry about it now. Let's close this way and move to the Lord's table. How should you respond to what I've just shown you? Four ways I pray. Number one, pray earnestly alone as a family in your small groups that God would give you and me and all of us a pilgrim, exile, refugee, sojourning mindset that finds as much joy in taking risks with birthing the new as we find joy in the comfortable of the familiar. I know that's against our nature, but it's not against Christ's nature. He came into the world. He left all of his joy and all of his father's glory and just wrapped himself in pain. Wait till the movie The Passion comes out next Lenten season and you'll know what pain is in Jesus Christ. And he did it. He planted the church at the cost of his life. Let's join him in that mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking human form and being found in human flesh. He was obedient. Unto death, even death on a cross. Because the rewards are huge. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. So I know our default emotion is to the comfortable and the familiar. Mine is too. And I'm always on my knees saying, Lord, get me out of my zone. Get me on the street to evangelize. Make me willing to become an itinerant pastor. Make people willing to plant campuses and plant churches and plant congregations in neighborhoods. Change our whole orientation. Life is short. Eternity is long. We're just passing through. We're not designed for comfort here. We're designed for ministry here. Number two, offer yourself for ministry. Please go to that back page and go to this Register your children this morning for Sunday school and Wednesday night. And while you're there, say, do you need any help anywhere in children's ministries? Did you see that? That was 777 for 20 minutes of this service. It ought to be 777 for two seconds of this service if we had a Christ-like mindset. And it ought never to come up as 777. 
if you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, 777 is when we need extra workers in the nursery. Life is ministry, and it is so good. Say to the usher table this morning, we need ushers, lots of them, for north, south, so there are tables north and here. Go to the usher table and say, I can usher. Just tell me when and where and how to do it, and I'll do it. Number three, respond by coming on Wednesday night and seeing that video. We're going to devote the whole Wednesday night from 6.45 to 7.45 to this vision and want to hear from you. Want to hear your comments, some of your questions. We want, I want Kenny to tell you more about what's happening in church planting, campuses, and, and all the... I mean, there's so much I'm leaving out. So if you care about what's happening, you want to stay up to speed, Wednesday night, 6.45, here in this room. Fourth, come next Sunday and hear about one biblical strategy for relationships in a big, multiplying church. And finally, number five, take everything I've said with regard to structure, planning, and vision, and right now, just put it on the altar as we go to the table. And say this in your heart. That's all skin. That's all wine skin. I want wine. I don't care about service times, service sizes, building structures, technology. I just want Christ. Me too. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just forget about life? practical stuff. Wouldn't it be nice? No budget, no mortgage, no furnace, no car with a broken clutch. Wouldn't it be wonderful? It ain't going to happen, but oh, may God give us the ability to say, wineskins are important. Without them, the wine goes on the ground and you can't drink it. But they're only skins and they're made for one thing. Drink Christ. So, David Livingston there north, you're going to go to the table. And I here, I'm going to go to the table and we're going to drink and eat Christ together. God bless you north as you eat and drink together.